Welcome to the show. We are tuned in for real-life stories with real-life people who have overcome adversity and healed their life. I am your host, Victoria Johnson, teacher trainer and coach trainer for the Heal Your Life Certification Program and best-selling author of Do That and Then Some Transform Feelings of Less Than to More Than Enough. As Louise Hay always said, the point of power is in the present moment, so let's get started. everyone and welcome back to another episode of the podcast. So happy to have you here with us today. We are joined by my guest Harriet Cabelli. She is from New York. She is a grief and adversity counselor and uh, I'm really excited about her book. She has a book called Living Well Despite Adversity and what it is it's a collection of interviews, 36 different interviews about people's challenges and losses in life and how they have overcome that adversity. And she really tells it raw and how it really is. And we're both just so in sync with what it is that we want to do in this world with motivating and inspiring people and giving them hope for their own lives. So of course, I'm really happy to be sharing her wisdom with you today. And I want you to welcome with me to the show, please, Harriet Cabelli. Welcome, Harriet. Hi, Victoria. Thank you. And so great to be here. And like you said, we really are in total sync with what we're putting out into the world. It's amazing. Same yeah. word, same language, same goal, same mission. It's funny. <laughs> I love it too. And you know, the more people that are out there just, you know, wanting to give to others, it's just what heals the world, what heals the planet, right? One heart at a time. And I think that the power in stories, and I'm sure that you would agree, is that we can relate to that story. We remember the story. We can learn from the story. And what did you find was the most powerful thing for you or some of the most powerful things while you were recording these interviews and creating your book? Well, the fact that people are so open to sharing the most deeply raw and painful times, events, and emotions in their lives. Because in the end, that's really what connects us as humans. I mean, Mm -hmm. we all at some point in our lives are going to face horrific loss and challenges, be it death of a loved one, illness, divorce. I mean, nobody goes through this life unscathed. And, you know, we wear masks through our lives when everything's tra-la-la and we're just going about our business, trying to keep our head above water. But when things happen that really break us that are hard and painful, I mean, it's a little bit sad to say that, but it's true that that seems to be when some of the deepest connections occur because we end up sharing pain from a gut-wrenching space. And Oftentimes, it's in that sharing and connecting that healing occurs. Obviously, Mm -hmm. it's not healing that the situation may get much better, but it's healing in our hearts that we're not alone. And Mm -hmm. a lot of the pain is besides the event that happens that could knock us off our you know, balance is, is the alienation and loneliness we oftentimes feel as a result of it because we just feel nobody gets us. So to be able to open up and share, and I was amazed at how these people did it in my interviews. I mean, I'm a nobody to them. I was a stranger asking them to share. That was what was most amazing and poignant to me. The thing is with the sharing of our story, I think, you know, you nailed it on the head 100% when you said it teaches us that we're not alone, 
because so many times I know in my own life, I thought I was the only one feeling that way. And, you know, whether it was a big obstacle or a small obstacle, there's just that alienation that then turns into even depression or anxiety or despair because we don't feel like other people are going through this and somehow we're not enough. We don't measure up because we're going through this. Right. Absolutely. When people, yeah. And when people really open up and they share their story, it just allows that great healing. Were you inspired by any of your own life experiences to go ahead with this? Or yes. what, how was it born? So how was it born? <laughs> That's a bit of a long answer, but I'll try to, <laughs> I'll try to make it as brief as possible within its lengthiness. I have three daughters. My middle daughter was born with neurological disabilities. And when she was about 18, she developed a um, medical crisis out of her ulcerative colitis. She became the statistic that developed secondary infections from some medicine that was trying to control a very severe colitis flare-up. And this infection put her into a coma. She, actually, she was in a drug-induced coma because her lungs were so wrecked. Um, she developed something called nocardial pneumonia. She was on a respirator for four months, like I said, in a drug-induced coma. And miraculously, she survived. They didn't give her good odds, but she survived. Then she went on to a rehab for the next nine months and miraculously learned and relearned all of her bodily functions from breathing on her own to swallowing, to lifting her hand, to brush her hair, to eventually standing upright and walking. So she is a true miracle. Her survival is a miracle. Her complete recovery is a miracle. And none of this has to do with her being born with disabilities. This was a medical condition that came later on having nothing to do with that. And then after all this was said and done and she came home from a year-long hospitalization, six months later, she developed another flare-up and we decided instead of going for the medicines, obviously, because of the damage that had done, it was out with the colon. So she had her colon removed and wears what we call a bag. Mm -hmm. um, and what was the third miracle is that through and despite her disabilities, because she has some difficulty with fine motor skills and gross motor skills, she was miraculously able within six months to learn how to handle her ostomy on her own, which was something huge because she's high functioning and she wanted to eventually live on her own, which she is doing today. So we call it the th three miracles. Okay. So moving forward, I thought to myself, I witnessed a miracle. I felt as her mother, I got a second lease on life. And what was I going to do with all of this? You know how people, when God forbid they have tragedies, their children die, um, you know, bad outcomes, and they look to do something, start organizations, write books, do something through that. And I thought my outcome, thank God, was a humongous miracle. I want to honor that. It didn't feel right to just pick up the pieces and return to life as before and before, like with a capital B. I felt mm -hmm. like frustrated and I had angst. What am I going to do with this miracle? It's not, it's not enough to just go back to what I was doing before this year. So I looked for all different types of opportunities. I attempted a, a memoir. I had a collaborative writer and an agent. And after many rejections, 
it was said that let's put it aside. It's an evergreen topic. So maybe we'll pick it up at another point. And then I, I did all kinds. I puppy raised a dog for people with disabilities. I did all kinds of things that I was just looking to do meaningful payback work. And then I started a blog. And on my blog, I said, I'm going to do my own project. And that project's going to be, I'm going to seek out people who have gone through difficult trials, tribulations, adversities, and see how they've coped and see how they've come through it. Because way before this happened, and even back as to when I was a teenager, I always had an interest. First of all, I always had an interest in psychology. Second of all, I, for whatever reason, and I'm not really clear why, I always had an interest in how people who had rough things happen to them, how they were able to be okay through it and to rise above. My parents were divorced when I was very young. Maybe that had something to do with it because I feel like my mother was very strong and independent. I had a boyfriend when I was a teenager whose mother had horrific things happen and she was like a role model to me. She was amazing. So I looked and said, you know, we only have one life to live. Things are going to happen, but how do we make it the best life possible? And that like was always like in me. So when this happened and I started this blog, I said, well, this is my baby. I'm going to do what I want. So I'm going to look to see about interviewing people. I always love stories. I love inspiration. I love books. So I started finding people through books, through whatever. I heard someone talk at a Y. However, I found them. I found 36 people over three years. So I did one a month, one interview a month on my blog, on my website. And at some point, people were saying to me, why leave it there? Why not compile them into a book? And that's what I did. So my book is a compilation of my 36 interviews of various people with, and we call it diversity of adversities, all <laughs> different types of challenges. And I did get some famous people. When Cheryl Strayed, who wrote the book Wild, right before her book hit the top bestseller and certainly before the movie came out. I got her because I was subscribing to the Oprah magazine and Oprah had, this was one of Oprah's selections in her book column. So I contacted her and she said yes. And then some other people, Meredith Vieira, who was a TV, a news channel four news reporter. And then I think she was the host of The Millionaire. That's right. Um, who wants to be a millionaire? Who wants to be a millionaire? Temple Grandin, high functioning woman with autism. And some other authors, because I'm a, I'm a real bookie and I love memoirs and I love true stories. So this was like, this is like perfect. So <laughs> that's how it came about. <laughs> well, and it's so beautiful. The subtitle of the book is Inspirations for Finding Renewed Meaning and Joy in Your Life. And the title again is Living Well Despite Adversity. That is available on Amazon. They can also just go through your website, which is rebuildlifenow.com. And Instagram and Facebook also Rebuild Your Life Now. I want to mention that so that if people are listening and they want to scroll through and check things out and uh, check out your website, they can do that while we're talking. Oh, okay. Rebuildlifenow.com. Great. And so you mentioned that you know you had an interest in the psychology and, and I see that you are a grief and adversity counselor as well as having certification in positive psychology. Yes. So when you you know did your education for all of this, obviously you knew even before you started what a passion you had. And does that all link back from your daughter's illness? Was this a passion that you had in childhood? Okay, so yeah, I had this passion for psychology in childhood. But mm -hmm. I didn't pursue that. Well, it was like a minor in college. I ended up becoming a special ed teacher because I was always interested in kind of, I don't want to say the underdog, but the people who, who had more of a, of a difficult time. So I became a special ed teacher. And then I went back. So after my daughter 
by middle, my second daughter was born with disabilities, I decided I really wanted to go back to my first passion, which is psychology, because I was helped tremendously by a mm-hmm. grief counselor. She was born in Evanston, Illinois. And I was helped tremendously by a year in therapy with him after her diagnosis. And I said, oh my God, this is really great work. I'd love to do something like this. So when we moved back to New York, we were only there for four years. At that time, my husband's residency was at University of Illinois. So I came back to New York and I said, I'm going back to what I truly wanted, which was not teaching per se, but psychology, social work, something in that area. So I chose to go back for a master's in social work to do eventually therapy and counseling the way I was helped with my private therapist and with the group of parents who had kids with disabilities in the University of Illinois little preschool program. There was a woman there who facilitated the group who was also amazing. And I said, this is such healing work. I want to do that. So I went back for a second master's in social work. And then... (laughs) And then, but wait, there's more. There's more. A few years later, I was getting divorced. And my mother, who was in the school system for many years, said to me, Harriet, I know this isn't what you wanted to do, you know, becoming going back to school and becoming a school social worker. But when you have little kids to raise, I have three children, three daughters. She said, it's the best job for a mommy, you have your summers off, you get out at three, you have good vacation time. And when you're raising kids, it's a good job. And I took her advice and I went back and well, not back. I went to become an early childhood school social worker. 20 years later, (laughs) after I was there, I said, okay, I think it's time for me to leave this one and finally do what I set out to do, which is something in the field of psychology, counseling, working with people through loss and disability and illness. And that's what I did. So nine years ago, I left the school system and I said, now I'm doing what I set out to do. So it's kind of a culmination <laughs> of everything. It's like great when I think about it. It's what I wanted from day one. It's what moved me having a daughter who has some challenges. And it became the right time. And it all came together. And I'm grateful that I've been able to have this opportunity to really go back to what I really wanted to do. You know, you said something really wise there about the timing piece of it too. And and if you could see me right now, listeners, I'm smiling from ear to ear because I just think the universe has such a great sense of humor, (laughs) right? It's like, we'll get you where we're going, but we're going to teach you a few things first. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I think that it's important too for our listeners to know that this overcoming adversity, sometimes we really downplay things that are going on in my life. And we're like, oh, well, you know, I don't have it as bad as so-and-so, or, you know, at least I still have this. And I think it's really important to understand that, that, you know, things that require moving through the grieving process in our life is not just the death of a loved one, but also things like the end of a relationship or a divorce, or maybe you leave your job, or maybe your kids can go to college or move to a different location. You know, anything that is a significant transition for you in your life. Exactly. And that's what I stress, that grief is not just, you know, we think in society, when we use the word grief, we right away associate death. And that's what it usually is. But like exactly as you said, grief is really a response to any loss. And loss in our lives is not only loss via death of a loved one. Loss is an illness. Loss is a disability. Loss can be sometimes retirement. 
people feel a little lost once they leave a job. Who are they? What's their life going to look like? Loss is an empty nester. They, they had their life filled with, you know, raising kids. And now what? Loss is anything that we value that is then lost, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And I really did learn that when I was in my own therapy, when, you know, in Chicago, after I got my daughter's diagnosis, when my therapist said, you are grieving. I didn't even really know. In other words, to me at that time, loss was also due to death. My daughter wasn't dead, but the way he put it was, it was the loss. It was the shattered dreams. And what were the dreams for a new mother? The dreams are to have a healthy, normal baby. And then you suddenly you're told you have a baby who's going to have lifelong disabilities. Well, that's a shattering of dreams. Mm -hmm. And then how do you rebuild new dreams, new goals? How do you rebuild your life around your new reality or your new normal? And that became like, wow, that was an epiphany in terms of, you know, conceptualizing what grief and what loss and what all of this meant and how to move forward with that. Mm -hmm. Yes. And I think it's such an important thing to really stress to our listeners is, you know, to really look at areas of your life where you may be grieving. I work a lot with people who have addictions and when that addiction ends, there's a grieving period for the addiction. And so not to minimize what is going on in your life and say, oh, you know, well, I don't have it as bad as so-and-so, but to, to recognize, you know, this is a process that I need to go through for my own healing. And Rebuild Life Now is just such a perfect website name for what you do do, Harriet, because you really are helping to rebuild lives. So rebuildlifenow.com. And I want to mention that as we go through that process, I think what's really important, and I'm sure that you teach this and coach this and counsel this, is yes, feel those feelings. Yes, let's work through this grief. But then let's not get stuck there. Let's not get stuck in that place. But you know, let's change our mindset and make better choices and respond differently to circumstances. Can you tell us a little bit how you walk people through that process? Yeah. So, and that's so important what you just said. We have to go through the grieving process in order to come through it. You know, they say you can't heal what you don't feel. Now, I didn't oh, I like that. that. I think that's David Kessler, who actually mm-hmm. worked a lot with Louis yes. I've done a lot of workshops with him. He's great. Uh, he's out in California and he's a grief specialist. And he says that mm-hmm. you can't heal what you don't feel. So yes, we must allow ourselves to feel as painful as it is, as hard as it is. I was in therapy for a year thrashing about with my resentment and my bitterness and my anger. And it, it was like, you know, vomiting, getting it all out. And it's only when you can really get it out and go through it that you can come through it. And that's not easy. And yes, it's it's hard. And in our pill-popping society, people would rather go to the bar and, you know, do this and do that and drown it out and not feel. And it's really important as young parents to teach our young children that we need to cope with the bad feelings because mm-hmm. that's the only way we can then embrace being able to move on, so to speak. Otherwise, we push it down, we squelch it, and it, it ooh, like to, a tube of toothpaste. If it doesn't come mm-hmm. out the main hole, it's going to come out through these little itsy-bitsy, you know, broken up holes throughout our lives because we've never dealt with it. So, yes, we have to feel it and work through it. And then you can tell when people are ready to start taking those baby steps kind of out You know, I laughed a little today. I took a drive past the park that my husband and I used to go to, let's say, for someone who Mm -hmm. lost a spouse. It's baby steps that then start to happen as people can say, hmm, 
you know, I can do this now. I feel a little bit ready. And sometimes it's not even conscious. Sometimes it's just happens. But we know that there's something shifting there, that they're not just being strangled with the devastation of difficult feelings, but the strangulation, if I could use that word, is kind of loosening up. Mm-hmm. And things start to like ease. So you may laugh a little. You may say, okay, I'm, I can go to a movie. I can get together with a friend. I can, you know, maybe I can go away overnight. You, can, you start to let some of the little moments of joy in. Mm-hmm. But it's a dance and nothing's a science here. And everyone's on a different schedule. So as we say, there's no calendar to grief. But like you said, first and foremost is feeling it and allowing ourselves to go through it. And then we can start to take steps towards reentering life, reconnecting with new dreams, new goals, new hopes, (laughs) but not right away. Yes. You know, I'm smiling because I have lived through this process myself and I want to really encourage everyone listening to let them know that it is so worth going through the actual feeling of the feelings to get to that other side that Harriet is talking about that you know where you can drive by the park or maybe you can listen to the song that reminds you of a certain person or whatever that case may be a little trip whatever it is that you can get to that joy and then it just builds and it builds and it builds and your confidence becomes greater as time goes on And you don't have to worry about it coming back and haunting you at a later date because you've actually taken the time to just feel those feelings and then being willing to move through them. Right. And having said that, it doesn't mean that we're not going to feel sad or pained. Like it's not like, okay, I'm done feeling sad or I'm (laughs) done feeling loved Not at all. It comes back to us. It could come in waves. Each time my daughter would go through certain milestones, like when, you know, she wanted to learn how to drive and we, you know, we knew she couldn't drive was like like a a knife in my chest like oh no I explained this one to her but the fall down isn't as deep into that black hole and it isn't as intense because I had done the work in other words so we still feel the pain and we can still feel the sadness but it we're not where we were initially by any means kind of Mm -hmm. like we grow around our wound and other aspects of our lives become bigger and become fuller and richer Yes. And that's such a good point. And I'm really glad that you clarified that for the listeners as well. And I can just give you an example that happened to me last night. I was, when my father passed away, my parents have both passed away. When my father passed away, those first two years, I cried every single day. I was just really, really deeply in a place of grief once he was gone. Of course, with my mother too, but for some reason, maybe it was because it was my second parent or maybe because I was daddy's girl at losing my dad was really hard. And last night um, I drove through, I was coming home from a different city and I drove through the town that both of my parents are buried in. And, you know, my heart just cracked open again and the tears came and just that deep stabbing sorrow. And five minutes later, I was okay. And that's normal. And almost that's beautiful to hold the love because what is that grief? That grief is the love. Mm -hmm. You're holding the love and the pain of missing due to that love and closeness along with the beauty that you have now in life. So you can hold both together. Yes. And I don't feel like I need to flatten life. I'm okay to feel joy and I'm okay to feel grief and all of those things because of working through the feelings. So I just love what it is that you do. One thing that you've got on your website that I think is so powerful, you help people move from grief 
to growth, from pain to purpose, and from loss to found. And uh, that really struck me, especially that last from loss to found. So not lost with a T, but lost, <laughs> L-O-S-S, lost right. to found. Right. I don't and take credit for that. My, my web person who did some- <laughs> oh, that's a good one. I said, that's great. <laughs> yeah. You know, it is just so true. Just really finding that true self of ours. And I'm glad that you mentioned David Kessler too, because I have that read that book that he wrote with Louise Hay. You can heal your heart is what it's called. And that quote, I just want to mention it again, because it is so powerful. You can't heal what you don't feel. Right. And by the yeah. way, he just came out with a new book. Oh, on, did he? On, on meaning. The importance on meaning. Of, on meaning, yeah. Wonderful. As he, as he calls it the sixth stage. Oh, interesting. Very interesting. So what you're referring to there is the five stages of grief. Can you just quickly do an overview of that yeah, for the, the listeners? The five stages of grief. But you know, there's been a lot of... I don't know, a li- not a lot, some negativity around that lately, because we know that it's not just a process and like, okay, you go through denial, then you're done with denial and you go through rage, then you're done with rage. It's not a linear process. It's all fluid. We go through all the different stages and then we can come back to one or come to another. It's been criticized a little bit lately around Elizabeth Kubler-Ross that it was, you know, just dot, 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 dot. But that's not how she meant it at all. These are conceptual stages that we just flow in and out of, like I said before, mm-hmm. without a calendar, without a time frame. You know, and in our society, again, people are saying, oh, you're not over it yet? Oh, it's been a year. What's the matter with you? So our society, we have a lot of work to do in terms of normalizing grief, normalizing the death process, even just normalizing that Grief is okay. It's not pathological. We don't have to necessarily take a pill. It's not something that's fixable. It's a normal part of life. Yeah. So in terms of David Kessler, so he just put out a book called Meaning or something about meaning, meaning that once we have kind of gone through the heavy duty, painful feelings like we spoke about a few minutes ago, and we do start to live again, then we do find renewed meaning. That's the kind of the subtitle of my book, Inspiration for Finding Renewed Meaning and Joy. Now, mm-hmm. I studied, I, Victor Frankl is like my hero, and he wrote the most amazing book that I think is life-changing, and many people do, called Man's Search for Meaning. He was in the concentration camps during World War II. He came through them. He was a psychiatrist before he entered into the camps, and he founded this therapy called Lagotherapy, the therapy of meaning and purpose. And his whole point is how we respond to what we go through and that it's not about being a victim. Yes, we are victims of certain circumstances. Absolutely. Somebody gets raped, God forbid. Yeah, they're a victim of that circumstance. Someone is, you know, whatever happens if someone gets a cancer diagnosis, they're a victim of that diagnosis. But we don't have to stay in the victim mode. We don't have to take on the victimhood mentality. That becomes a choice. And his big thing, again, is it's not what happens to us, but rather how we respond to what happens to us. Now, when I first read that book, I was in college. And that concept alone was a life changer because most of us think, oh, it's about our circumstances. It's what happens to us. If things are going well, we're happy. If things are going lousy, we're miserable. Well, that really isn't so because we know heck of a lot of people who have everything going for them, richness, fame, fortune, everything, and they're miserable. And then Mm -hmm. we know people who have a lot of bad stuff happening, which is what 
inspired me way back when, when I'd see some of these people, like my ex, my old boyfriend's mother, terrible things happening. And oh my God, they're so upbeat and they're optimistic. How is that? There's something like incongruent here. Circumstance and response isn't jiving. And then when I read Viktor Frankl's book in college, it was like, right, because it's not about circumstance. It's about our response to it. And we know we could name a million people. Christopher Reeve, right? He did some of his best work after his horrific horseback riding accident when he was paralyzed Mm -hmm. and he went around speaking all over the world and became more inspirational than when he was Superman. So, you know, those are the stories that you look and say, it can't just be then about what happens to someone. And the other point that's really important to say there is sometimes people will say, well, they're just naturally strong and resilient. That's how they were born. But the truth is with all the research now going on with resilience and gratitude and optimism and happiness in the field of positive psychology, resiliency can be built. It's a muscle. It's a skill set. So yes, we may be born into this world. Some of us are naturally more resilient, naturally more optimistic. But having said that, we can build on it. We can up our levels of resiliency, of optimism, and dare I say, of well-being and happiness. We can do that. So even if you think the cup is half empty, you can bump it up a level, a level and a half. So it's something that we can build. So we're not stuck there. We're not stuck there. Absolutely. You know, you've just said that so brilliantly. And I want to just mention the name of your book again, Living Well Despite Adversity, available on Amazon, the website, Rebuild Your Life Now. You can hear listeners how much passion that Harriet has, as well as how much knowledge she has on this subject. So whatever it is that you're going through, you know, by all means, check out her website and reach out to her to help you with what it is that you will need to be able to rise above the circumstances or build that resiliency that she was just talking about. I think that's such an important point that you made there as well, is that we don't need to just stay wherever it is we are. We can always choose to grow. I want to just... uh, Yes, yes, right. Yes. I just want to close out the podcast today, thanking you, of course, for being here. And uh, I'm going to use your cue and I'm going to share a quote from Viktor Frankl as well. And uh, I think it's just so relevant to what we've been talking about. And it is the last of the human freedoms to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way, to choose one's own way. We all have the freedom to choose our own way and to recover from the loss, uh, from the grief, from the adversity in our lives. Yeah, I'm so so glad you used that quote. It's one of my favorite. But then again, many of his quotes are my favorite. (laughs) That's a biggie. (laughs) Wonderful. Thank you so much for being on the show, Harriet. And thank you. you. Wonderful. And thank you listeners for tuning in with us today. And uh, we will catch you again next time. So thanks again for being here. Bye. Thank you for joining us today. If you would like to become an internationally certified Heal Your Life teacher and coach, please visit thetraining.ca. To be a guest on the show and share your story, please visit victoriajohnson.com. Thank you so much for joining us.